Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. I'm going to teach y'all to scream amen yet. I'm telling you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Friends, we continue our exploration this week into the letter of James. We do well as we go into James this week to remember what Rev. Mark observed last week, namely that James doesn't pull punches. Ironically, James can be an uncomfortable read because of its direct and easily understood language. It is helpful to see James as developing some leading ideas in a variety of expressions and connections. His main concern is with Christian behavior, its consistency, and its community context. According to James, there should be consistency between faith and action, consistency in different activities, and most importantly, a common concern for one another. While the letter itself only directly mentions Jesus Christ twice, all of the imperatives presented by James build upon the life and teachings of Christ. After imploring his readers to connect faith and action by being doers and not simply hearers of the word this week, we find James emphasizing the need to build communities that foster unity and openness to all people. Our reading this morning forces us to think to think about whom we welcome into our communities and why we welcome them. Let us hear these words from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, do not claim the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory while showing partiality. For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here in a good place, please, while to the one who is poor you say, "Ah, stand there, sit by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you, you have dishonored the poor person. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into courts? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone 
who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. years ago, a man by the name of Michael Johnson, the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Dane County, Wisconsin, looked at his community and became quite concerned with the rising homeless population, especially as it affected the young people, the children in his community. He wanted to better understand the plight of those who were without homes. What were their stories? What were their struggles? What were their daily challenges? And to find the answers, he and two other friends went undercover on the streets of Wisconsin for three days, disguised as three of the more than 3,500 homeless people of Dane County. Together, they slept in shelters. They panhandled on street corners. They asked restaurants for free food. And what they learned over those three days touched them in unexpected ways. To their surprise, they discovered that those who live on the streets are remarkably generous and kind to each other. That many of those who live in the shelters get up every morning, put on a uniform, and go to work. They also learned that there, of course, are a lot, a lot of generous people who go out of their way to help those without homes. But they also learned how fearful people are when they encounter the homeless. People want to help, but they're afraid. One of them said, when you look into the eyes of those who want to help, you can see their suspicion and their fear, even their hostility. 
All three of these men said that of all the daily challenges the homeless face, it's public perception that rises to the top of the list. This widespread assumption that if you're living on the streets or in shelters, you, for some reason, deserve it because you've done something wrong, or because you are an alcoholic or an addict, or because you have no will to help yourself. One of these three men confessed that that's what he used to think. He said, the face of homelessness for me was people who had substance abuse problems or mental health, mental health issues. But he said, that's not the face of the homeless. And what Johnson and his two friends remind us is that in order to change our perceptions, sometimes we have to change our point of view. Have you ever found yourself more willing to interact with someone, maybe a stranger, based solely on what they were wearing, or their nationality, or their accent, or their age, or nationality, uh, or gender? Have you ever found yourself trying to impress someone whose title, or position, or wealth, or influence presumably was greater than your own? Or have you ever overlooked or snubbed someone who at face value seemed to have very little or nothing to offer you for your attention? To be human is, of course, to struggle with what behavior scientists call the first impression bias. And the first impression bias is this breakdown in how we uh, process incoming sensory data. It's a breakdown that causes us to make quick and often impulsive and most often incomplete conclusions or observations about other people based usually solely on the first bit of information that comes to us. It takes as little as a tenth of a second and rarely more than 30 seconds to form a first impression of someone. But there is, of course, growing evidence that our, lists, our first impressions are often inaccurate. And when we make quick decisions or judgments about other people based on very limited information, it turns out the quality of our lives and the quality of our relationships and the quality of our communities are profoundly impacted and severely diminished. Whether we're interviewing a candidate for a job or we're meeting somebody for a first date, or we're listening to some business proposal, or we're sitting next to a stranger in church. Our first impressions of others often have deep and lasting and sometimes even permanent implications. Of course, the first impression bias is as old as humanity itself. This is profoundly biological, in fact. It's how our earliest ancestors survived on the savannas. They had to distinguish between friend and foe, and a failure to do so appropriately, and um, uh, it could mean life or death. To, uh, to fail to see an ally could mean that you'd go hungry or even tribeless. Over thousands of years, so we've mastered this art of sizing people up, of making judgments about them, of sorting them into various buckets. 
Maybe the real truth is that this art of sizing people up and making judgments about them has mastered us. James captures this age-old problem when he writes about this scenario that you just heard read. He says, if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your church, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and you say, have a seat here in the good place, while to the other you say, ah, just sit over there. He says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Have you not become judges with evil thoughts? As Reverend Jerry just said moments ago, throughout this series, we've seen how the letter of James uh, calls us to, to live lives that are grounded in deep authenticity so that we ensure that our outward uh, public conduct is consistent with our inward personal convictions. James addresses the, the gaps that exist in all of us, the gaps between our words and our deeds, between our personal ideals and our public behavior. And in those gaps is where hypocrisy begins to breed. And today, James points out this other gap that's in us. It's the gap between our perception and reality. And in that gap, he says, grows partiality and prejudice. James says, how can you claim to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? He calls it partiality, this human tendency to relate to others based solely upon what we see or what we expect to see. And this is a big, this is a big deal for James. Not exactly sure why, but I've got some ideas. Some scholars actually say that James, the writer of this letter, was actually the brother of Jesus. And if that's true, and I think there's good evidence that it could be, if that's true, it's safe to say that James, as the other brother of Jesus, uh, he probably knew a thing or two about partiality, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you're the brother of Jesus, you know that you'll never, ever be the most interesting guy in the room, right? <laughs> Imagine being James. You show up to a party with your brother Jesus, and you're standing next to the the punch bowl while Jesus is turning tap water into Cabernet. It's just not fair. Did we run out of pizza? No problem. Just ask Jesus to do that little loaves and just thing that he did the other day, right? Jesus is the life of the party and James is the other guy. So maybe James knows what it's like to be overlooked. But I really think I really think James has a deep, genuine, and abiding heart and concern for the poor, for the down and out, for the overlooked. James seems to really see them, and he seems to really want us to see them too. His message is clear. All people from every walk of life are equal in the sight of God. And you think to yourself, yeah, I know. It sounds almost cliche. Uh, all people are loved by God. God loves everyone. I know, I know. James says, 
Well, if you believe that's true, why don't you act like it? All people are equal in the sight of God, but the truth is, and I confess, all people are not equal in our sight. We've all been in those situations in which we've tried to impress or please someone on account of their power or their influence. Why? Because we know not all people are equal in our sight. We've all fallen into that trap of paying greater attention to one person while ignoring the other out of self-interest because not all people are equal in our sight. We've all found ourselves in situations in which we have slighted others who at face value seem to have nothing to give back to us because we know not all people are equal in our sight. Our problem, suggests James, is that we tend to relate to people according to their usefulness to us. We just tend to use people. We notice who can help us and who can't? Who can get us where we want to go and who doesn't have the resources to do so? We, we go out of our way to, to help those who, who seem like they might be able to return the favor. But James draws our attention back to the poor who have nothing material to offer us, who have no power or influence to help us get anywhere, who lack the resources to ever repay us for anything we might do or give to them. And James says, don't forget them. Don't ignore the poor because they have something essential, indispensable, even invaluable to teach us about what it really means to to bridge our, our ideals and our convictions with our conduct and behavior. He reminds us, he says, God has chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom. He's drawing on one of the most radical teachings of Jesus. It comes to us in what's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's in the Gospel of Luke, in which Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. James picks up on that teaching of Jesus, and he says, The poor are heirs of the kingdom. God has chosen the poor to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, when the will is finally opened and read, it's not the names of the rich or the powerful or the well-to-dos that will be heard. Instead, what we will hear first are the names of the poor because God has chosen them, because the kingdom belongs to them. Why? Is it simply because they're poor? Is it because they have gone without for so long that God someday finally will turn the tables and give them what they deserve? You could make a case that's true. There is evidence throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that God has a a preference for the poor. But I, I don't think it's simply because of their poverty. Because if it were, we could all just cash out right now and give everything away and put our name on the list so that it's heard when the will is read. It's not because of their poverty alone. 
I think it's because I think it's because the poor they desire the kingdom of God whereas so many of the rich and the powerful desire the kingdoms of this world the poor know what they really need and the rich often do not when you have wealth and power it's common to want more of it but when you're poor you you become aware of of what you don't have you become aware of your needs that you alone and your resources can't fulfill and it's that emptiness that becomes the space where we begin to genuinely long for the kingdom and this is why James says you you can't ignore the poor. God has chosen them to inherit the the kingdom. God has chosen them who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith. The poor have a way of just teaching us how flawed our systems are. Climbing the ladder, striving to make it, seeking validation and all the rewards that come with climbing the ladder. And look, I'm exhibit A. We all are. I had this epiphany years ago. I was in my mid-30s, and all I have to say is, some of you know, it's that crazy, distracted, ambitious phase of life where you're always in a hurry to get somewhere. And I was rushing to get my son Casey to his basketball game. He was seven years old at the time. And we were late, which was almost always the case whenever I was in charge. On this particular day, I was responsible, thankfully, for only two of my three kids. Uh, Casey, who was seven, and little Matthew, who was about five months old. And it was one of those mornings, I know you can relate. Uh, Get the kids up, feed them, dress them, load a diaper bag, bottles, diapers, a car seat, stroller, and we're finally in the car. That's a victory alone. Halfway to the game, Casey informs me that he forgot his shoes. Back to the house, you grab the shoes, back on the road, you pull into the parking lot, you grab the diaper bag, you get Casey out, you you start walking, and as we reach the gymnasium door, Casey says, Dad, you forgot the baby. Back to the car, you get the baby, you pull out the stroller, you strap him in, you rush to the gym, you're, your heart's pounding, you're exhausted, you're late, and you get that tunnel vision, crazy parental sort of state of mind, right? And we get to the gym door, and Casey looks up and says, Dad, and I'm thinking, oh my God. And he says, I saw 14 roly-polies on the sidewalk. Kids, they see everything from the, from the kneecaps down. Bugs, rocks, wads of chewed up gum, daisies. And meanwhile, all of us grown-ups are marching on to some other place, trying to get somewhere, looking for what's next, trying to accomplish our goals, our appointments, our plans. And we think we know where we're going. And we think we know what we want. How much do we lose in our haste to get there? The people that we pass, the epiphanies we miss, the opportunities, who do we become? 
on our way to becoming someone else. James says, don't ignore the poor out of partiality to the rich. It's not just because the poor may need us. I think it's more because we need the poor to show us what's important. Have you noticed when life is going great, uh, our prayers for the uh, thy kingdom come, they get a little faint. We pray thy kingdom come and we kind of We kind of hope it doesn't come too soon. I mean, when our kingdoms are good, we're not exactly looking for God's kingdom. When life is good, maybe redemption can wait a little longer. James says, don't ignore the poor because they remind us of what it it looks like to hunger for the kingdom. James suggests there's one other reason that we shouldn't ignore the poor. He says, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected. This might seem strange, but it simply means uh, Christ isn't dead. Christ is risen. Christ is present in this world right now, which means that whenever you ignore the poor, you might miss God. Because more often than not, as Scripture says, when God chooses to make an appearance in this world, God chooses to do so in the form of a person who is poor. When you ignore the poor, you might ignore the Christ. Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, Some have entertained angels without even knowing it. The writer of Hebrews here is referring to that story in Genesis where those three strangers visit the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah receive them with this amazing hospitality. They bring them water for their feet. They give them food. They have a conversation. It's beautiful hospitality. And it turns out that those visitors aren't just ordinary visitors. They have actually come sent by God to deliver a message to Sarah that she's, even in her old age, she's going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs out loud. And nine months later, she has a boy named Isaac whose name means laughter. And at the time, Abraham and Sarah had no idea that that these were unique messengers, but because they welcomed them, Their lives were changed. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, even to the poor, you receive angels. Uh, Years ago, when I was serving my very first church, we had a storefront church that was right next to a very uh, accessible and uh, well-used bus stop. And this was a Friday afternoon. The office was already closed. The doors were already locked. I was the only one in the building. And uh, a man stood outside the doors, the glass doors, knocking, looking at me, knocking. And I knew I couldn't do anything at that point to pretend like I didn't see him. And so I let him in. His clothes were three sizes too big. His dark, weathered face looked like an old treasure map. I think he had about six teeth in his mouth, which when he spoke made him whistle. 
and he had this purple cap on his head that he wore like a crown. And what I expected would be just another usual request for a handout turned into this wonderful friendship that lasted for years. He said to me, the Lord has instructed me to visit you. And I said, okay. (laughs) The Lord, pastor, he said, has sent me to pray with you. And I wondered why the Lord hadn't informed me of this first. (laughs) But I said, okay. And we talked. And before turning to leave, he never asked me for anything except if he could put his hand on my head and give me a blessing. And I said, okay. (laughs) And he blessed me. And a month later, he returned. We talked. He laid his hand on my head and he blessed me. And every month for the next three years, he would come and lay his hand on me and bless me. His name was Thomas. He had been this wildly popular preacher back in the day in Detroit. And then he lost his way. And when he finally found his way again, he began to be a preacher to people living in the streets and the shelters and once a month in the suburbs to a young preacher like me. And what I learned from Thomas is that you just never know. Someone shows up and you just never know who it's going to be. It may be God. It might be an angel. You just never know. So you see them. You welcome them. You love them. And sometimes they love you back. Our takeaways for today, God has chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom. And the poor teach us what it means to really hunger for the kingdom. And whenever we welcome the stranger, especially the poor, we welcome God. Whatever you do 
tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.